Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Comics Beat at comicsbeat.com. And check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Simmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr, pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on More to Come, Book Expo, BookCon, Back to Back, <laughs> um, <laughs> gra- the graphic novel in libraries features uh, by our own Heidi McDonald. Disaster cons. <laughs> no other way to describe them. And a look at comic sales over the last 20 years. Flat or just doggone steady? All right. Uh, Book Expo is coming up. Um, the uh, yet reimagined, reconfigured, rethought um, Book Expo. Uh, and, right. uh, and once again, we it's got quite a few comics um, events inherent, too. Um, uh, some changes this year. There seem to be always some changes at uh, every book expo. Well, well, I was yeah, I was really curious about that, Calvin, because I know that um, you know they've been trying to make book uh, book expo or BEX, as is now known, more palatable to people to come to uh, for quite a while. And you know they were trying to cut it down to two days, but it's back to three days, I guess. And, yes. But it, BookCon <laughs> yeah. is coming right after it. And basically, Reed, which owns both shows, is really dead set on trying to get more publishers to really invest in BookCon because they get lots of people from the yeah. outside who come. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I've sort of missed some of our episodes of this. What, what's, what's the latest on how they're changing it? Well, you know, well, you, you said one of the big issues was they've they've kind of expanded it again to back to three days, um, or at least three days. Um, right. It had kind of gone to two. Um, I mean, the show is in a in a strange situation because it's neither fish nor fowl. I mean, it, it, you know, this this show originally started to bring booksellers and publishers together so so booksellers could order books. Well, that kind of went out with the fax machine. So, um, right. <laughs> uh, so, and each successive technological telecommunications leap uh, has meant really that publishers and vendors, you know, they're kind of in communication constantly. So it, right. you know, so it's it's it it sort of morphed into a promotional platform, and with, and it, that, it worked that way very well for a while. But of course, once again, with social media now, I mean, if, if people have seen. You know, um, uh, marketing platforms become measurable, uh, far greater than uh, they've ever been in the past. Uh, you can see the reach, uh, and they're much cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Way more cheaper than having a booth at, um, or, or, or holding a panel at, at Book Expo. But really, the real value in Book Expo, uh, which people kind of don't want to admit, and this is just my notion – is that it's really a place where everybody in the book trade can get together and you can kind of talk to people face-to-face after talking to, with them on screens for the last few years. Right. Well, you right. know, that's that... Oh, Kate, I'm sorry. Go on. Right. And also, I mean, the very fact that it's a physical space means that there are all kinds of serendipitous meetings. On the Internet, you tend to meet the people you're intending to meet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a convention center, you meet all kinds of people you didn't know existed. 
Well, it's funny yeah. because they really went out of their way. Based on I, I, I got an ad on my Facebook, my mobile Facebook, every day for the last month about Book Expo, which is amazing to me that I was targeted about. And it was like we've changed, we listened, we changed, and apparently, I guess they went on a listening tour and, and talked to book sellers, yeah. you know, bookstore owners, and said, "Why won't you come to the show?" And so they they did listen. But I, I see they have like editors' hour programs, yes, yes, and. Publicist in booth meetup program. Yes. Uh, yes. Attracting new bookseller yes. attendees, and yes. then they're adding more stages and more yes. programming and hotel, more hotel discounts. Though, if you ask me, they have been doing this kind of stuff for many, many years. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> but and you know, the booksellers can still continue to kind of drop off. Although it's kind of stabilized, I think, over the last few years. But right. Uh, yeah, and, and I should say also, and, and, and another important aspect, um, uh, an, an important change, uh, is is the uh, the launch of New York Rights Fair. Now, I say this for oh, several yes. reasons. Uh, Publishers Weekly is inaugurating this in uh, in conjunction with Combined Book Exhibit and the Bologna Book Fair, and now also Read itself has joined in to become a partner in New York Rights Fair. So. This is kind of a, a, a big deal. It's a it's a really big big, big deal for 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 PW uh, uh, and its partners. Uh, and I think that Re, uh, Reed Exhibition also recognizes this is an this is a chance for them to do something that kind of hasn't happened at Book Expo. In that uh, there's a, there's a small right scene, scene, but there there are um, uh, there's an opportunity to make it a much bigger rights marketplace and yeah, comics. No, just- We'll figure in this as well. I was going to say just so now this is a separate offsite event, absolutely, and that. But it starts uh, well as we're talking. We should make this clear. We're actually talking on Tuesday, which is very yes. unusual for us because yes. we normally talk on Thursdays. But because Calvin and I are going to be so busy yes. at BookCon, we had to move it to earlier. So I, I say tomorrow, but it's actually Wednesday, and yes. all have taken place already, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> when you hear this, in fact, it will have. But yes, yes, but we we are um, um, this is an effort really to to, to respond to uh, really what a, a lot of people have been hearing, particularly uh, many of the European uh, rights people and the American rights people. And though, look, Frankfurt is the big rights marketplace. Also, you know, the London Book Fair and the Bologna um, Children's Book Fair uh, also. But you know, uh, this is an opportunity to grow another marketplace. Uh, 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 Publishers Weekly is going to hold the event off-site. That is also something that, um, you know, they got from listening to the marketplace. Uh, people, you know, they want to get out of Javits for, for a couple of hours. Um, it's going to be held at the Metropolitan Pavilion on West 18th Street. Uh, it will start, yikes, it starts on the 30th, and it will run through the 1st at the Metropolitan Pavilion. There will be programming. I'm doing, I'm doing um, uh, one panel uh, on comics rights. And we've got a, a, a fabulous panel. Um, if I can find who's going to be on it, I'll tell you in just a second. Um, let's see. Where did I do that? Oh, here we go. So I'm, we're going to be talking about um, basically international comics rights. And, and it's called The International Cartoonists Are Coming. And it's going to uh, um, include – I'll be moderating – Reva Hockerman, uh, executive editor of Metropolitan Books, will be there. Ted Adams, as we all know, uh, CEO of IDW. Uh-huh. Ivanka Hanenberger, um, friend of the show, um, and also a basically the general manager of VIP Brands. She she buys and sells rights for Glenat, 
and represents other publishers as well. Etienne Bonin, the rights and licensing director of Glenat, will be there. Andrea Colvin, uh, new editor-in-chief of Lion Forge Comics, she will be there. And Nazeli Kuregan Varen, uh, director of editorial and marketing for Europe Comics, uh, will be there. And we're going to talk about just what are the issues around buying and selling comics rights, the opening up of the, American, of the North American market to a wider variety of uh, graphic novels, uh, and genres, and in particular, uh, uh, write, uh, works in translation. Uh, so that's one thing, but really, there will be panels. Uh, let's see, Karen Green is doing a panel. I'm kind of doing the business side of comics. She's doing the art side. She's going to be talking with Richard McGuire, uh, the author of Here. Uh, mm. there's, uh, there, was, uh, we did a, um, uh, there was a visual books, book, book contest as well. So a conference, right? Wasn't there a it's, conference all day today or something? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're putting me on the spot here oh. uh, because I've been getting ready for my panel. So, but mm-hmm. uh, if you go if you go to newyorkrightsfair.com, you'll find lots of information about it. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. And you also have another panel tomorrow at Book Expo, so yes. you're quite busy. Yes, I have a panel uh, and this is going to be the Graphic novels you can't miss, and it's going to be a great lineup. Uh, we're going to have um, a Tim Fielder, uh, the author of Maddie's Rocket. I, you know, I've talked about this on the show, and we did a big interview with him. Uh, but he's actually going to be talking about a new graphic novel uh, for the adult audiences coming out this summer, also self-published, called Infinitum. Um, I don't know too much about it, but it's a science fiction work, and... Um, I've got a lot of faith. Tim Fielder really is a talented guy. Uh, now, Bill, Blue, Blue Diliquanti has a new book coming out called Meal, a very interesting, basically a foodie graphic novel. Uh, it's really charming. Uh, we'll be talking to her. And the great children's illustrator, David Small, um, best known for the, uh, the powerful graphic novel Stitches, I think which was done about 10 years ago. He has a new graphic novel called Home After Dark. That's also, in, in many ways, it's it's not a memoir in, in many, many ways as Stitch was. It's fiction, uh, but also a very powerful emotional uh, book. And uh, the wonderful Ngozi Nkazu will be on talking about her new trade book edition of Check Please. So I'll be moderating the panel. So we got science fiction, sports, memoir, food, uh, good stuff. Yeah, uh, awesome. I, I, I will be doing a panel at BookCon uh, which will be uh, called really snappy name is called diversity in graphic novels. I had nothing cool. to do with the title, but a <laughs> fantastic topic nonetheless. Yes. So uh, that's great, and that will include T. Franklin of Bingo Love, uh, oh, Ezra Clayton Daniels also been a guest on the show with um, Upgrade Soul. Uh, let me see Franco, who's okay. done everything, and uh, also one other person who I now I can't remember, so I better look that up. Uh, but anyway, yeah, BookCon is definitely, uh, moving into, um, you know, I mean, they keep trying to push this show and, you know, it's, we'll see how it goes. They have a lot of big guests this year, a lot of authors. Um, Mm. oh, also with, uh, Leslie Hung of Snot Girl. That's, oh, great. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, really a fantastic panel. I'm definitely looking forward to that. That'll be Saturday at BookCon. And we should be mentioned as well that, um, Congressman John Lewis and the new and the, his uh, new creative team. Uh, well, the new being a new artist at Ford Richardson, right. they'll be signing um, at the show also. But he's going to be there. Oh, I didn't know he was taking on a Fua Richardson. Oh, that's a great fit. Yes, she's gonna she's gonna succeed um, Nate Powell. 
uh, in the new book, the new chapter uh, in uh, that looks at, at his life thought, called Run. Didn't, didn't he? Uh, isn't there's another artist who's helping out with it? I heard, but maybe uh, that may be the case. But I mean, Nate is still Nate's going to have some work in the next one. He's kind of handing it off. He's going to do about ten pages in Run, and then there's going to be a big kind of double page spread where he kind of hands off the work and F4 picks it up. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I, I haven't heard about that. I interviewed them all, but if that's the case, uh, we'll soon find out. Well, there's definitely going to be quite a bit of comics, uh, graphic novel news released during BookCon because I know of several things that are, are being embargoed. Um, by the time you hear this, perhaps a few of them will be revealed. But, um, you know, Comixology has announced yes. that they are – Doing a new announce, a big announcement about a uh, reiteration of the, their originals program, uh, but no details have been announced. But uh, it looks like Comicsology is, is kind of digging into doing original uh, digital comics again, and that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Uh, this is strictly under embargo for uh, many outlets, but I'm not under embargo. But uh, you know, I've I've heard I, I, a lot of people. When you ask them over the last year or so, like, what are you up to? They'd get this kind of vague look on their face. And, um, you know, usually that involves some kind of NDA. So I think you'll be pleasantly – my guess is we'll be pleasantly surprised by some of the people working on these books. Um, from what I've sort of gleaned, I will uh, – uh, that sounds uh, interesting. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, Comicsology Originals, I mean, they released the Marley's Ghost, which was a really delightful project and reconstructing – you know, um, uh, a, a graphic novel designed by Harvey Kurtzman in the 1950s. So they're, you know, they've certainly got a track record as doing original things. Uh, you know, I mean, literally original things, but really innovative, visionary things. So it'll be curious to see what they're going to do now. Yes, and, you know, we should definitely talk more about this uh, next time that we gather because, yes. uh, you know, digital digital originals, I mean, obviously web comics are huge, 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 huge. But digital originals in the comic book format have a little bit more of a, I don't know, it, it, it's it, a lot of platforms have launched and a lot of plat- platforms have crashed. So, yeah, be interesting to see where yeah. this goes. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So uh, be there or be square. Yes, indeed. All right. Okay. Now, um, but uh, out this week uh, in Publishers Weekly and actually um, you can go to publishersweekly.com slash comics. And read them online as well. Uh, Heidi's annual graphic novels in libraries feature. Uh, lots of great stuff. Uh, you want to talk about uh, um, talk about a little bit, Heidi? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, we I do this story every year, and uh, it gets bigger and bigger because it takes a bigger and bigger part of uh, PW's uh, real estate, uh, printed real estate. But uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of librarians, but this year I decided to talk to publishers. And I think we got a pretty good range of publishers in there. We talked to DC. We talked to Drawn and Quarterly. We talked to First Second, although Gina Gagliano, bless yes, her heart, you know, I'm talking to her. She's like telling me houses. all this stuff. And then like the next day, she's like, I'm going to Random House. I mean, not even a blink. She, That girl, Sangfra, is On intense. the mood. On the yeah. mood. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, her, you know, a couple companies that are going for the first time or at least exhibiting for the first time in a while uh, one mm-hmm. of them being Fantagraphics which is kind of a shocker but uh, that they haven't been before but also um, Boom Studios mm-hmm. and New York Books and also Viz Media and you know the thing that's interesting about it is it's just kind of circling back to what we were saying earlier about Book Expo and you know face to face stuff uh, and 
a lot. I, I do find among comics publishers, if you ask them, are you going to Book Expo? And they'll be like, yes, we're going. <laughs> when you ask, are you going to ALA? They'll be like, oh, yes, we are. <laughs> they're so excited to go to ALA and talk to librarians because librarians are so excited. But it's also the ones who haven't been going before. Uh, uh, even big publishers like DC have been re- uh, represented by their mm. distributor. I mean, it's very common. Most publishers, when I started covering this, were like, oh, yeah, our distributor's there at ALA. We're fine. And now they're like, you know, we like to talk to librarians up close and personal. And really, I think all the publishers ago have discovered that the face-to-face connecting with librarians is absolutely essential and, well, uh, you know, really uh, helps grow the market. Well, I, I think one of the things your, your, your feature brings out um, is the – I mean, when you talk to the librarians, you bring out their enthusiasm for the category. Uh, when you talk to the publishers, they're like – blown away by the enthusiasm of the librarians for their books. Uh, I mean, I think that's one of the great things um, that, that this feature brings out every year is the institutional um, energy around graphic novels, particularly on the kids' side, how they've embraced this category and really done a great job in sort of boosting the discovery of so many titles. I mean, I actually did um, a sidebar to your feature where I talked with – uh, the Lion Forge uh, folks. I talked with Rich Johnson and Andrew Colvin, and uh, they talked quite a bit about working hard to, to, to present themselves in front of the librarians. Also, you know, they kind of have some history, and obviously Rich has a long history of working with librarians, going back to when to days when he worked at DC Comics. Right, so, um, absolutely. So uh, you, you, this feature uh, just once again shows how important librarians have, have been to – Essentially, to mainstreaming streaming this category, and by that I mean getting it into the book trade, and and getting it to where the readers are. Right, right, and uh, yeah, I mean it's there's definitely a lot more to come on this because as Gina, you know, she does have a knack for supporting out things, but uh, I think a lot, and, and and she said a lot of publishers have been. Uh, slowly coming to realize that there are 20,000 library systems, not library branches, library systems in the United States. And if you get a library hit, that's 20,000 copies of your graphic novel potentially sold there because they love awards and they love, you know, they really look at, um, you know, like if your comic wins one of the awards that librarians pay attention to, Mm -hmm. especially something like the Prince or the Calicot, I mean, you are made, you know, and uh, first second was very, very good at that. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, um, you know, huge growth market for comics publishers. I mean, another, I think another great aspect of uh, your interview with uh, uh, Philip Sibley, who, who, who sort of acknowledged, you know, I wish I could say, you know, they're preparing to go to ALA, and he's saying, I wish I could say that this was some, you know, cagey strategy on our part, but librarians found us. I mean, I think that's really key. They will, you've got good books, the librarians will find you. So, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, go to publisherswiki.com/comics. Oh, yeah. I was about to go on. So, no, that's exactly what I was about to say. Oh. So go to publishingthecom slash comics. You can yeah, read right. the article. So, well, uh, you know, it's all big. Uh, everything's going. It's all big, uh, uh, um, you know, great guns for books and graphic novels. But some other aspects of the comics triumvirate of uh, periodicals and Comic-Con live events 
Uh, maybe I think in live events and conventions, I think you know there's a totally too many shows. Just this weekend on Memorial Day, we had MegaCon in Florida. Mm. We had uh, Comic Palooza in Houston. We had the Phoenix Comic Con. Uh, there was MCM in London. I mean, granted, not that much um, crossover there. There was also uh, the main Comic Arts Festival. I mean, they, they, these are just oh the ones God. that I know of, just off the top of my head. I'm sure there were three or four other smaller shows, but it's every weekend, and we're beginning to see a little bit of, I think, um, well, well, two things happen. Okay. Well, yeah, and frankly, they have nothing to do with having too many comic shows. And everything to do with people who should not be running comic shows, running comic shows. As I talk a little bit more about them, uh, I, 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 I'll point out why I think that we have too many, co- how it ties in with the too many comic shows. Okay, I'm not seeing the connection, because, but I'd be interested to hear. Because I think when you have this many shows on one weekend, okay, well, the first off is, is the, what, what, what's interesting about both of these shows, the Salt Lake Comic Con and Phoenix Comic Con. Now uh, renamed, uh, so, Fanex Salt yep. Lake and Phoenix Comics Fest. Yes, and now both of these shows have renamed because they heard that San Diego at trademark yep. word Comic Con, and they became terrified. And actually, San Diego mostly um, defended its trademark on the word Comic Con because of the behavior of the Salt Lake City organizers. And uh, you know, both these shows got big about five, six, seven years ago when Comic Con started to get really big. Uh-huh. And I will say, quite frankly, in my coverage of both of these shows, uh, there has always been great skepticism among people who, uh, at the announced attendance, Salt Lake says they have 120,000 people or something like that. Mm. And, you know, that's more than the population of Salt Lake City. And <laughs> like, if you drove from around, I mean, you could get that many people. Uh, no, but everyone I've ever talked to who goes to the show uh, has said that it's there's nowhere near that many people. But, but anyway, they... Uh, screwed up in a really spectacular way uh, by harassment. And yeah. it's a pretty complicated story. Anyway, this all started uh, over a guest uh, who was accused of uh, inappropriate touching, I would say. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to find his name, but he is a novelist. He was a guest at Last Falls Fan X. And, uh, you know, he there was complaints about it. And he was interviewed about it. And he said uh, that... Uh, it was uh, that, you know, white men in America now are like Jews in Nazi Germany, uh, which is really awesome thing to say, really. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, then he so thoughtful. Yeah. Then he backtracked a little bit and said, oh, I just mean they're being blamed for everything. It's like, well, it's, it's funny how you blame people for everything when they're in charge of everything. I don't know how that works. But yeah. anyway, so so basically uh, a bunch of guests of Fan X. Uh, wanted to have a new harassment policy because this uh, raised an important, uh, you know, issue that it should be that that there should be a better harassment policy at FanX. And based on uh, the way they responded to this, they really definitely need that because I, I want to find this. Uh, hold on. So Shannon Hale is an author who was a guest, and she wrote. Her, Expressing her concerns. She was not harassed. A lot of people think she was harassed, but she wasn't. No, she, <clears throat> no, she was just writing to Brian Brandenburg, who's one of the co-owners of mm-hmm. the show, yes. to express her concerns. And uh, he wrote back to her pretty spectacular. Uh, I'm going to read it. Thanks it's really for, uh, appalling there. what he said. Well, it's but appalling. Because, but, and he, but didn't even black, he didn't even black out her email well, address. He, first off, he left her email address in there. But then he writes, thanks for this. It's difficult for me to ex- uh, express my... Uh, 
of I'm trying to read it. Uh, but basically, he said, you know, we're really great about harassment. We had that guy who ran the volunteers who was harassing people. We got rid of him. You know, and then there was the other guy who was in the photo ops who was harassing people. But we got rid of him, too. So we're doing fine. And, you know, maybe it's time for you to just sit this one out if, you get, uh, if you're upset about it. And, and that's exactly what he and, said. You and wasn't it weren't they, weren't they also offering some sort of half policy on touching that seemed bizarre to me? Well, he came out and said that, you know, that it was the Me Too being so trendy, this was being looked at. And, you know, they couldn't publicly – one of the other things that Hale was concerned about was that they publicly say that this author should not – whose name – I really should try to find – I'm I, pulling I, up. Yeah. yeah, if you could find his name. I mean, he denies it, if, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, but, but I mean, he just said he was kissing someone on the cheek. Well, you know what? If that's non-consensual, that's harassment. Yeah. And, you know, if it, you, was, it was his fellow panel member. Yeah, it was. If you think all these, you know, hugging is always wanted, it's not. And so anyway, so she said that the Hale wrote and said that this author should be publicly banned. And then uh, Brian Brandenburg wrote uh, on the Facebook group, oh, you know, we can't do that. We'd be sued for defamation of character. And, you know, there's no way that a friendly kiss on the cheek. Uh, you know, like then no one can kiss anyone on the cheek. I was like, talk about not getting the point. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's really just unbelievable. And so then, uh, and then he posted on Twitter, like he posted Shannon Hale's email and like, you know, uh, we are trying to, uh, like, like just making fun of her and mocking her for, for being concerned about harassment at his own show. And then all hell broke loose. Yeah. Then he, uh, <laughs> The, it's, uh, it was sort know, of an amazing it. response from someone that's supposed to be yeah. in charge of a show. Uh, it's hard Absolutely. to kind of imagine. Um... Right. And then there was, <laughs> got to be said, there was immense coverage, to be uh, fair, in the Deseret, uh, the news, the local news. Yeah, uh, all the local papers had lots of stuff on uh, that. Yeah. Because one of them had once been part of the owner of the show, but they uh, pulled out. So maybe that might also be part of the reason why. And then uh, other authors said that they did not want to attend because of this. And uh, basically Brandenburg tried to apologize and he made it worse. <laughs> and uh, then uh, finally, yeah, yeah. and then, and then uh, as of last week, he said he was stepping down. Uh, and then somebody in order Twitter, to get rid of the quote unquote bad vibes. But then somebody on Twitter posted a picture from a secret Facebook group, book group where Brandenburg was saying, you know, this has all been misconstrued, and wait till the truth comes out. And basically, he's learned nothing, and he's, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say he just comes off as a total prat on all of this. Yeah, and the like lurkers support him in email, don't you know? Yeah, yeah. and so I, th- you know, as of now, he has taken down his Facebook page. He's taken down the like uh, FanX Facebook page. There's been a lot. Uh, you know, there's still, there's a call for a boycott. It's pretty small. The show isn't until September, so there's quite a bit of time for this to be amended or forgotten. But, you know, it's just I, my con fellow con runner watcher pals have really been laughing because I will say this show is very uh, unpopular on the circuit and uh, claims that they have been inflating their attendance for years have really been rampant and uh, in fact they admitted it to me they admitted that they that when they they did 80,000 people they were guesstimating like if one person had four kids they figured everybody had four kids i mean that's you know when i <laughs> okay. question their tennis okay so anyway they're kind of jerks let's put it that yeah. way uh, I mean, they certainly look they, like jerks and all they that. seem to uh, be be uh, verifying that um yeah. With this latest episode, anyway. Um. Yeah. So, so that one. But then, and then, uh, just this weekend, Facebook yeah. 
con was held, we talked a lot about last year how there was an armed man who tried to get into the con or did get into the con, and uh, apparently he'd been making threats against either the cops or Jason David Frank, uh, the Green Ranger, on his Facebook page. But luckily, a friend alerted the cops, and they arrested this guy, and he was loaded to the, uh, you know, armed to the teeth with loaded weapons, and this sent a chilling effect over the entire convention business. And so this year's Phoenix Comic Con apparently had really strict, um, really strict, uh, they had metal detectors, security is very strict, uh, people were getting their fingernail clippings yeah. taken away, uh, which is maybe a little, uh, you know, vendors, there was a lot of complaints about this show, I have yeah. to say. now every Yeah, but that's not all. Oh, no. No. But um, somebody triggered a fire alarm. Well, yeah. something. Somehow a fire alarm was triggered, let's put it that way. Uh, causing an emergency evacuation when there was, in fact, no fire. Right, and then apparently the alarm went off all night. Now, where this really created problems is that it, because of security, they had moved all of the events for the con to the convention center, whereas in years past, some had been held in hotels. So they had to shut down the convention center because of this uh, alarm, uh, which kept going off, and that means the masquerade was canceled. Yeah. And uh, until the, you know, I guess they and held the next of the convention. Yes, and chunks of the convention were canceled. And, uh, you know, I'm a member of some private groups where people talk about shows, and they said that sales were way down. And, in fact, I think the owner uh, said that he would have to uh, – they were lowering the table prices for, for next year. And, you know, they were aware that this show was really uh, subpar and that they would be working on it. So to circle back to what we were saying just a few minutes ago – about too many shows. I mean, obviously, you know, Brian Brandenburg being, you know, making these asinine statements doesn't have to do with more, too many shows. But I, I, I do think that when both Phoenix and Salt Lake got onto the scene, they, they really upped the ante for a lot of people who wanted mm-hmm. to get into this business. Yeah. And from what I'm hearing, people, uh, showrunners who are in it for a quick book, uh, are raising their table prices incrementally. And... Mm. Uh, you know, people are not making money. There's so much competition for guests. There's so much competition for vendors. There's so much competition even for for people to attend. Yeah. You know, and we're we're going to see we're going to see a contraction for sure. It, it seems like it's only natural to happen. I mean, I mean, just your description of how many shows over this past weekend. I mean, uh, <laughs> are there enough comics artists to go around? I mean, I'm, well, I'm, there, just, yeah. I'm just joking, but really, it, it really does seem like. As you said, it, it really diluting the whole experience. Yeah, it it does. So, uh, well, you know, definitely more to come. I mean, FanX is certainly taking a drubbing over this, and mm. we'll have to see if they uh, recover from it. Yeah, um, yeah. Time for September show. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Um, yes. So, uh, well, there's a really good, inter- an interesting article on the beat about uh, the comic sales over the last 20 years, which actually I found sort of startling that, you know, they kind of haven't moved very much, um, right. even in a format uh, that, you know, I, you know, I think most of us respect, though we do, uh, I, I mean, I do find its future uh, a little hazy. Uh, so uh, I'm curious, Heidi, I mean, um, you want to talk about this? Sure. Well, I mean, this is another Heidi special. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was busy writing this month. But, uh, yeah, but basically this goes to John Jackson Miller, a friend yeah. of the podcast, who uh, 
Uh, he runs Chromicron, which is kind of the gold standard for numbers about comic sales. And he posted on a tweet. He, he's, he's very pro-pamphlet. I mean, he always sees the glasses half full. And I, uh, I guess I was digging him a little. Some other people were digging him. And so he posted that he had analyzed April 98 and uh, through April 2018 in comic sales. Uh, every five years, and it remained remarkably similar. Like in one year, it was seven million copies sold, and then this year, was six point eight million sold. And in, you know, it ranged between six million sold and seven million sold. Yeah. So that's pretty fairly consistent, given that every other form of entertainment, uh, you know, has died <laughs> pretty yeah, much. You know. Physical entertainment. Yeah, well, um, I mean, maybe not necessarily died, but stability is not a thing for other forms of entertainment. Right. Right. And. Like just based on movies and media and conventions mm, and, yeah. and media graphic novels and everything else, it's like you know if periodical sales have remained the same, is that stable or is that uh, flat? You know, is it? Oh, I mean, I, show growth? I think it can be both. Mm. I mean, I think it can be something that is relatively healthy and still we can wish it grew. It may be that comics aren't dying and they aren't growing either, and that all the growth is funneled off into things like, I don't know, graphic novels or or web comics or other things. But um, the fact that it's not growing, it's not the same as dying, and I think that's how comics have managed to be quote unquote dying for twenty years. Well, comics are definitely growing; they're just not growing in that particular format. It may be that that format uh, just uh, and that the fans around it <laughs> they just refuse to go away um well, i mean the, I think the, there the are format, new ones every day it's yeah. just i think it's a mature market i think maybe that's the threshold of how many people want a paper floppy yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not going to well, get more we're not going to get less but yeah but most businesses are dubious of uh channels that don't grow well, I, I would like to point out that in this John Jackson Miller study uh, that he starts in 98 and ends in 2018, uh, 7 million sold in April 1998, 6.8 million copies sold in 2018. Yeah. Uh, both these uh, periods are rel- notable for the prevalence of variant covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think, uh, you know, and, and you know David Harper did a deep dive. Uh, this formerly of sketched, um, and he did a, a, on his on his Patreon page. He did a free to read kind of study where he had all sorts of graphs and stuff, and and talked about uh, the number of comics being published and the number of variants. I mean, the number of SKUs is just insane, as we know. But um, uh, uh, you know. It is. I, I mean, Kate. I think you're right. It is just a mature medium, and uh, we shouldn't be looking to, uh, you know. Yeah, but what I'm saying is is that it is alive. I mean, the fact for all the business uh, common thought, common knowledge, maybe that everything has to grow or else something's wrong with it. Um, sometimes it's not chicken feathers. It's just pork. <laughs> and you can't make chicken soup or chicken salad out of pork. <laughs> you know, you got uh, you can make pork products out of pork, and that's what you got. Well, yeah, well, well, like I said, once again, once again, uh, periodicals, uh, periodical comics also throw off a lot of ancillary sales uh, in yeah. other kinds of uh, non-publishing areas too, uh, both in merchandise, both in merchandising and in obviously these days in film and TV. 
So, I mean, uh, not to mention graphic novels. You know, I I will say, I I think what to me is still the kind of the what worries me is just like I said that you see this 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 format and it's a fine format. Let's let's say let's let's set aside anything and say, all right, let's just. It's perfectly fine content-wise, which I don't think, but let's suppose it is. Like I said, <laughs> you have the entire direct sales market, uh, old school. You have all of Diamond. You have Marvel and DC and a lot of new publishers. Uh, you know, even Image to a lot of extent, Dark Horse to, you know, basically the whole establishment of the comics industry really putting all their muscle into making sure that periodicals yeah. stay at the level they're at. Yeah. And so. you know, they're in for a penny, in for a ton. I yeah. mean, they're <laughs> they're they're yeah. so invested in this format that uh, you know, you know, they can't imagine the future without it. And the fact that it's flat and hard to grow unless you have like 80 variants on everything in is is interesting. Yeah. But I think in the traditional comics business I mean, you can set your financials up pretty well. You know, once again, I'm referring back to the ability to collect things. Uh, you know, when you amortize the whole thing over, uh, as well as the ability to keep a market interested in an artist and a story by by releasing it in serials. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, there is some, you know, obviously economic sense to the comics market. I mean, I, sometimes you have to di- dig a little bit to find it. <laughs> But it's there if you know if you if you choose. And plus, this business does run on passion. I mean, in a big way, it does. So it absolutely does. I don't know, Kate. Any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I'm I'm equally as passionate about it as you guys. You know, I don't necessarily see it's a terrible thing. I think it's a triumph that the floppy hasn't crashed. I mean, it it, it has. It, it survived the fall of the pulps. It survived the fall of the magazines as we knew them. Like it's it's a triumph that it's here and it's managed to be stable. I mean, we can't underestimate the amount of of work that went into it to to make this this happen, to make this work. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. All things considered, if you look at the market, if you look at other things like that, I think. Stable is, is good for what it is. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I Stable agree. or the I, zombie format, huh? It just won't die. No, no, if it were a zombie, it would format. be slowly, slowly creeping downhill <laughs> well, into nothingness. But I think you need to ask. I think, look, I think it's fair to ask, as I do constantly, like why you have, uh, you know, three of the movies, the, the three biggest movies of the year are uh, Black Panther, Avengers of Penny War, and Deadpool, and to mm-hmm. I think it's fair to ask, like, how do you get people who go run to see these movies to deign to pick up a little floppy comic book, you know, or do um, they? Well, I think I think the problem is that it's a specialty item sold in a specialty store, and I mean, my hope is that I mean, it's hard to look at digital charts; it's hard to know what's going on digitally. Is that you know, at least digital may absorb some of the would-be potential demand from people who are interested in the product but not willing to invest the time and energy to go to a comic store or maybe don't feel comfortable in them. Um, because the fact that you can't get it on a newsstand anymore, there is no newsstand, it's not a thing, um, just means that everybody has to go to the specialty market and there's a limited number of people who are going to go right. to a specialty market. It's just not right. going to happen. 
listen, if comic shops haven't gotten killed yet, yeah. it's going to take a lot to kill them. So, I, you know, I know some retailers, uh, and it's interesting, and I've asked them about the breakdown in their shops. And, you know, almost to a, a person, and I'm talking about maybe three or four people, they were all felt that their periodical business would disappear once they started selling books. And it just doesn't. They didn't. In fact, they each said to me that um, at the end of you know a, you know a fairly decent period of time, it was in their stores kind of fifty fifty. So <laughs> books, periodicals. I mean, the really well run shops. So you know, it's it's a, it's a durable category, a durable format. It's got a really powerful you know fan base. And it certainly serves some kind of cultural and reading need because it just won't go away. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, no. Well, the, no. The periodical is here to stay. Yeah. So, but like I said, I think it's good to, to question. Yeah. Yeah. Every do, now and then. I mean, and, and sure. we should remind it's people that you, and, you uh, 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 Kate and Heidi did a really great um, discussion. And I can't remember which, what number it is, but if you do a search, you can find it. You guys did a great uh, uh, more to come just on this topic on whether right. – the periodical, the floppy, and um, uh, it was uh, very thoughtful, and all of these issues remain. And now, the briefs. So, in a revelation that will shock no one, when DC Comics decided to redesign two of their major female characters' costumes, people got <laughs> mad! But this time... Not for the usual reasons. Not for reasons that have anything to do with sexism. No. For reasons that have everything to do with very strange costume design. <laughs> so Catwoman has now been, her costume has now been redesigned with what people at first called armhole, armpit <laughs> windows. Uh, where as far as people can tell from like looking at the drawings, it looks like maybe the sleeves are detachable. But why? Uh, yeah. Otherwise, she's completely covered from, you know, neck to ankle, except you can see her armpits. Well, you get hot, so, you know, you want to ventilate, maybe, oh, I don't know. All that crime busting, you know, you work up a sweat. <clears throat> yes. I don't quite um, get it either, but there you go. It's, it's, it's decidedly less attractive than the previous design. It's a little inexplicable. I don't think anyone's, like, offended by it morally. For once, everyone's just like, but why that I've seen? But on the, the but why uh, front, Supergirl's costume has also been redesigned. It's been redesigned modularly, which is <laughs> fine uh, in theory. I mean, look at Superboy's costume. It's clearly got like a shirt and pants involved and a jacket, but it's working. Whereas... Supergirl's new costume, I don't know how to call it, people. It it has a cape-loincloth. Yes, what is that? <laughs> I don't even know. Okay, so so she's got sort of a shirt and pants, and then like a little tunic jackety thing. Okay, fine. And then this cape that has this like front panel that yeah. then comes down between her legs. Like, not just occasionally. Like, that's where it's supposed to go. Well, I, I, I will say that, uh, asymmetrical hems are very hot right now. Yes, I mean, asymmetrical like, hems are very hot right now. 
but not loincloth attachments. I guess. yeah, I know. Like I could I, definitely, I could definitely see a very cool asymmetrical hem cape. Like yeah. that would be a cool thing. This is, and let's this not needs forget to go back to the drawing board. Let's not forget the sleeveless hoodie tunic. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's all it's all part of a thing. Like, there's like a trendy item right now. You know, I, I this I hope this does not constitute a spoiler for Solo, uh, a Star Wars story, but I did see this and uh in Amelia Clark's character, unlike every other character in every Star Wars movie since the dawn of time who wore like leggings, she wears wide legged pants. And it just so happens that wide legged pants are in style again now. Uh-huh. So yep. you know, even in a galaxy far, far away or a crypt- planet Krypton uh, you will find, you know, a contemporary <laughs> attempt at fashion. Well, right. I mean, I think, okay, let's put it this way. I think, frankly, that costume could better be dis- be explained as some weird Kryptonian fashion because I live in New York. I see an awful lot of fashion and street fashion, and I assure you, no one is wearing the loincloth <laughs> The loincloth <laughs> cape, yeah, well... <laughs> Uh, super uh, Supergirl breaks new ground. <laughs> yes, she's right. uh, her her new uh, job should be you know edgy fashion blogger trying to convince everyone that that uh, loincloth capes are the new thing. I don't even know, man. All right. Okay. Uh, well, I guess you know you designed so many superhero costumes. You you're trying to come up with something new. It gets hard after a while. All right. Okay, and one more brief. Guess what? Art Spiegelman won an award again. <laughs> There's an award that Art Spiegelman has not won yet. Yes. Basically, he's being awarded the, um, the 2018 Edwin McDowell Colony Medal, and you know, I'm sure you all know the McDowell Colony is a very famous uh, oh, artist don't. retreat. It's 111 years old, located in New Hampshire. Uh, basically, they invite a wide range of artists. I mean, everyone from some of the greatest musicians you've heard to to comics artists um, uh, can go there, and they work and they complete their work, and they kind of. They live there, and their food is delivered, and you kind of can get away from the world and work on your art. But every year they give out this award, and it's for uh, an outstanding contribution to American culture. It's based, obviously, on Mouse, a survivor's tale, uh, the acclaimed story of his father's experiences in the Holocaust and the Nazi concentration camp. Um, the the committee that picked the award uh, included Alison Bechtel, Hilary Shute, Julia Jacquet, James Stern, and Gene Yang. And it will be awarded by uh, novelist uh, Michael Chabon at a ceremony on August 12th held on the McDowell Colony ground. So um, uh, congrats to Art. Um, uh, if he uh, if he hadn't he, he apparently he hasn't won all the, the awards. There, there was another well, one left. They might dig up a couple more that he can win. Pretty, they might know, do that. Like he's art is in you know looks a pretty good uh, shape. Uh, so let's find some more awards. Yeah, yeah, he's going to so, be around for a while. So congratulations, <laughs> yeah. congratulations to Art Spiegelman. Really, uh, Mouse, one of the great books, let alone graphic novels, uh, you know, of our time. Um, so DC superhero girls. The toy line, the straight to DVD movies, the internet shorts. Now, finally, we'll get a law, a proper on television cartoon from, of all people, Lauren Faust, the acclaimed creator of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And, um, um, actually, Lauren Faust had been 
involved in a few like very short shorts about uh, DC superhero heroines um, called uh, Super Best Friends Forever. But now that DC is actually putting their marketing might behind DC superhero girls, it gets a real cartoon. I, for one, am looking forward to our DC superheroine overlords. All right. Stay tuned, uh, listeners. Um, we're going to have another uh, of our monthly episodes of Stargazing, where we look at three books that receive starred reviews. And this, uh, this week we're going to look at the Coyote Dog Girl by Lisa Hannawalt, Come Again by Nate Powell, and Rock Steady by Ellen Forney. So um, uh, we're going to uh, talk with uh, Meg Limke, the PW Graphic Novels Review Editor, who will uh, talk to us a little bit about these books and, and why they got stars. Okay, listeners, we're back again um, for our monthly segment. Uh, we call it Stargazing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor. I'm really editor of PW Comics World, our online coverage of comics and graphic novels. But I'm here uh, with Meg Limpy, uh, the PW's Graphic Novels Review Editor. Uh, welcome back for Stargazing, Meg. Hello, world. Um, so, so we're going to... Yeah, tell our listeners what Stargazing is yes. just once. One more time. Stargazing is when we spend a little time chatting about the reviews from our Publishers Weekly Comics Review section, which received stars. And a starred review at Publishers Weekly is noting an exceptional book, um, exceptional in its genre and exceptional as literature. So this... What we got this month. Yeah, this month. um, I have three books to talk about. And the first is Rock Steady, Brilliant Advice from My Bipolar Life by Ellen Forney. So Ellen um, is writing this book in follow-up to her graphic memoir, Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me, which was a critically acclaimed book and very much a memoir about her experiences with bipolar disorder. And she has talked about, actually in a recent interview we ran... Yes, um, by Whitney Taylor. Yes. By Whitney Taylor, about how after the book published, she was ready to be done and move on to another project. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a lot out of her to reveal um, so deeply and so beautifully about this struggle with mental health that she'd experienced. But a lot of people came to her and asked for more advice and asked her about the parts of the first book that addressed how she managed to maintain stability um, which, what I thought was really interesting in the interview as well, is talking about uh, mental health and dealing with mental health disorders, uh, about stability lifelong. Like, they're not something mm-hmm. you necessarily cure. Yeah. Um, and that there's a lot of books about, you know, an immediate response and medication, but there isn't necessarily a more practical look at longer-term self-care. About maintaining. Maintaining. <laughs> and that's what this is. It's in what we would call the graphic medicine category, which yes. is also really fascinating mm-hmm. to talk about. We actually just ran an article that I wrote about mm-hmm. the graphic medicine series. This is not actually in that specific publishing series, but all of the folks who are part of that point to Ellen Forney as a standout mm-hmm. um, artist in the, the category. You know, I don't want to call it a genre, right? Because mm-hmm. it encompasses many genres. Yeah. I'm getting very technical here. <laughs> we like our listeners to be informed. Yeah, getting back to the book. This is a practical guide in her cheerful, accessible cartooning style yeah. to self-care when you're dealing with mood disorders. Um, it's really clear, precise, 
um, and easy to use. Yeah. You know? and, and it's lively. It's fun. Mm-hmm. She's got a great cartoony, cartooning style. Exactly. You know, it's a delight to read. I mean, it, it's it's an entertaining book, but it's really a useful, practical guide to um, dealing with this this illness. And just deeply empathetic. I think it's the kind of book where if you are struggling. Um, and you want someone who's been there and is going to help you feel like stability is possible and reachable, this is a book for you. Okay. So we've got a, um, you go to publishersweekly.com slash comics um, and you can find our interview and you can also um, do a search and you can find our 2012 author profile mm-hmm. of Ellen Fernie about her earlier book too. So. And that was reviewed, um, it's a book coming out, it just, it's coming out this month, it's out now uh, in May. And I don't know what issue it was reviewed in, but recently. I'll get that cut out. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. So the next book I want to speak about is Come Again by Nate Powell. Ah. So Nate Powell will be known to many listeners as the artist of the March series um, by John Lewis, by Congressman Lewis, mm-hmm. which is a huge seminal work. It's a trilogy, not a series. And... Nate's known for that work. He spent a lot of time on the road promoting that work, and that is mm-hmm. where a lot of, I think, his efforts as a cartoonist have been in the last several years. And somehow, in the meantime, he wrote a solo author and illustrated um, graphic novel. This is a fascinating book, a completely different place you know, mm-hmm. than March came out of. It's fiction, and it takes place in Haven Station, which is a fictional hippie commune in the Ozarks in the 1970s. You know, I just finished watching that Netflix series, Wild Wild Country. I think mm. cults are hot <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, this book is arriving just in time. <laughs> I know. And, and you know, cults versus commune, this would probably yes. be categorized as a commune, and like the line between is a uh, fragile <laughs> one. Did, depending on what side of the line you're <laughs> right, on. Right, <laughs> exactly. So it's in this fascinating setting, and it's about a couple who are having an affair they're both parents. Um, the woman who's having an affair is close friends with the wife of the man she's having an affair with. There's mm. a, just a lot of really interesting interpersonal relationships being drawn there. And then in the middle of the book, I don't want to say too much, but it veers no into, yeah, no, it veers into <laughs> magic realism and this very haunting, disturbing yeah. story that's underneath and kind of it not directly a consequence, but clearly like implicate, it's implicated as a consequence of this breach mm-hmm. in the social fabric of the community. It involves their children, and it's just spooky and mm-hmm. beautifully drawn. It's really a lushly drawn book with gorgeous color. Um, the uh, Let's see, what did the reviewers say? Can I, can I edit a little out as I find the Sure, section? okay, the offbeat village and its inhabitants in the surrounding forest and countryside are rendered in fluid, magical brushwork tinted in the colors of the sunrise. Uh, you know, a beautiful prose about, I, I assume, a really beautiful book. Yeah, this is a good review. Yeah. I always want to, you know, <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, uh, alas, it is not me reading and reviewing every comic. Though <laughs> 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 so I say that in part, you know, I can, um, we have this fantastic stable of reviewers write for Publishers Weekly, and all reviews are anonymous, so reviewers out there just want you to know how appreciated you are. (laughs) (laughs) Even if we don't know your names. Uh, And you know what, I'll just throw in that, you know, um, for those who may not know and just be familiar with Nate's work on on March, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he had a really uh, impressive and critically acclaimed career before Mm -hmm. he joined March. Uh, He's probably published five or six books 
previous uh, to March. Uh, so he he's been working on this, you know, on March because it's really is the chance of a lifetime. But right. it's good to see him back out doing his own personal work. Yeah, if I most spoke earlier, this is the first solo author book since March. So yeah. it's the first mm-hmm. work he's yes. done since that that title took over his life. Yes, I yeah, think. right. You know, but I'm sure he was happy to sacrifice a few years to a project that you know is really kind of transform the, uh, you know, what you can do with a, um, a, a memoir. Yeah. yeah. Actually, we'll put in a plug. It'll be, you'll see this soon in our um, forthcoming fall 18 announcements issue, which I think we'll talk about more mm-hmm. next month. But um, the new next book from that team is called Run. Yes, yes. And, and there will actually be some coverage at the book con and at book mm-hmm. expo also, but anyway. So keep an eye. Right. Uh, or near. So finally, I want to talk about Coyote Dog Girl from Lisa, from Lisa Hanelwald, also yeah. um, authored and illustrated by the same fabulous, uh, quirky cartoonist. I love this book. Okay. I love Lisa so much. So not only is Lisa an cartoonist, she also works in animation. Mm-hmm. She's the, the art director or the art inspiration mm-hmm. for BoJack Horseman, the Netflix series, kind of dark comic Netflix series about... Um, it, Fictional horse who's a, like an eighties hmm. TV show star, <laughs> a la my two dads. Um, so Coyote Dog Girl follows from Lisa's well-known, if you know her work, love affair with horses. You know she's a real horse girl. Yes, and <laughs> she's taking it to another level. Yeah, let's just say, especially in this book. <laughs> Lisa is known for her gag cartoons. She does, you know, a lot of weird stuff with food. Um, and her prior books have collected those cartoons. But this is a really drawn-out narrative that has a shape. It's um, kind of a weirdo spaghetti western style. She talks, actually, she also has an interview coming up soon on the review pages, so watch oh, for great. that. Um, and a couple issues. And in that review, she talks about watching... Um, True Grit and Butch and the Sundance Kid and how Westerns are problematic and she wanted to create her own surreal version and then she gets to be the god of this comics world by entering into it. Coyote Dog Girl features um, anthropomorphic characters. The main character is Coyote who is a dog um, but also a Western heroine and Coyote has a horse named Red and the real heart of the book is the love affair between Coyote and Red but the story follows them across a landscape where they're being pursued and get captured and there's a lot of casual brutal violence which in the way Lisa draws it is hilarious Um, it's hard to define this book but I absolutely recommend picking it up well, we seem to be in a moment for the Western. I mean, I'm, I'm of a certain age, and, mm. and I grew up with Westerns, but uh, so I'm a little, um, d- d- I'm delighted and a little bit um, uh, amazed, actually, that a younger right. generation seems to be, you know, coming up with new ways to view the Western. I mean, the show Westworld seems to have also come up with a way, they ate that HBO show. They, oh, yeah, I'm to, watching it. To, to reposition the Western. I have a lot of problems the with Western. that I'm watching well, it. Well, they could have a whole issue episode um, on that. <laughs> to, to sort of bring it into a new uh-huh. generation's way of thinking about, you know, I guess narrative and, and genre. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I find it fascinating because I grew up at a time when the Western was everything. Right, and I right, grew right. up in the 1960s and right. really in the 1950s as well. So so this is kind of interesting, but she's certainly uh, taking it in, uh, taking a comic turn with the, uh, with the genre. And, you know, as we're speaking, I'm thinking many knowledgeable listeners might take issue with me calling it like a spaghetti Western, and in fact it's not mm-hmm. really like that because that sort of has more shoot-em-up scenes and takes place more in... Um, 
like the city encounters, whereas here, and it I also, feel like there's that also suggests a certain European take on the American yeah. West. So I think that's I think the reason it comes up for me is that it is this unusual take on the American yeah. Western. So it's yeah. a, a similarly like uh, like Westworld, you know, a different lens mm-hmm. on the Western, and it's she. It's like the Lisa Hanawalt. Yes, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I believe me. I think the genre needs that in right. order to come alive for a you know kind of a new generation, you know, of viewers and readers. So yeah. It's so, a completely bizarre, surreal book. I well, that highly recommend. Yeah, <laughs> the work by Lisa Handelwald that I've seen. Um, and I know a lot of people that watch uh, BoJack Horseman mm-hmm. feel that she doesn't really get... I mean, whenever you read stuff about the show, very often they don't seem to mention her, so... You know, I know that is a great failure because the, that show is all Lisa yeah. in so many right. ways. So there you go. So we're going to give her a due um, back in the publishing world. So um, three really wonderful books. So um, thanks much, Meg, for doing some stargazing with us. Thank you. I'll talk to you next month. Okay. All right. Well, always good to hear from Meg. So I guess what we're trying to say here is that there'll be more to come.